the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Imagine this. Imagine being that close to Jesus Christ where you're having a conversation with him and then walking away, walking away from the eternal riches that are found only in him because of an unwillingness to give up the God of money. How sad. How sad. You could be that close to the kingdom and yet not be in it. That's exactly what this rich young ruler did. Many, many people outside of church circles are just like that rich young ruler. They are pursuing the elusive goals of making money and accumulating wealth, and they do not want to hear about what they still lack. Many others don't want to know Jesus and follow him, and most give no thought to eternity or where they will spend it. This is truly the sad, sad condition of a hardened heart. Welcome again to another radio Bible class with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are going through the parables of Jesus as recorded in Matthew 13. In today's class, we continue our look into the parables of the hidden treasure and the costly pearl. Open your Bibles to Matthew 13 and verse 44. If you haven't already contacted us about the free book offer, we'd encourage you to do so. The newly released book, Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd will be sent to you for a contribution of any size during this month. Some of the best sermons of Pastor Steve from his over 30 years of ministry at Lakeside are compiled together in this 207-page book. Request the book when you send your contribution to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You may also call and request the book. The phone number is 727-239-0306. You can contribute online at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Now, with today's class, here is Pastor Steve. Once again, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We are continuing our study of the two parables that we began to look at last week. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 44, we read... The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. These are two parables known as the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. And though these stories are very different, both these parables have the same primary message. They teach the same primary truth. Now, these are the fifth and sixth parables out of seven that are found in Matthew chapter 13. 
And they all have the exact same purpose. They are designed to explain the nature of Christ's kingdom today as it presently exists in the hearts and lives of his disciples. This is a, uh, what Jesus called the mystery form of the kingdom. It had never been revealed up to this point. When Jewish people thought of the kingdom, and when we usually think today of the kingdom, we think of a future kingdom We think of what is known as the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, the millennial kingdom, sometimes known as the messianic kingdom, and that is coming. That is coming. It will be a kingdom on earth following the seven-year tribulation period that the book of Revelation speaks about. However, there is another form of the kingdom that exists today as the king reigns in the hearts of his followers, and that's why we read similar phrases at the start of most of these parables, such as the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, or the kingdom of heaven is like, because the parables are designed to illustrate with earthly stories some deeper spiritual truth about Christ's kingdom in its present form. Now, so far in our studies of these parables, we have discovered several major truths about the kingdom. From the parable of the sower, we discover that although we are to be faithful in throwing the seed of the gospel as we witness to people in our our world, the message of the kingdom, Jesus said, will be rejected and refused by most who hear it. He spoke about four types of soils representing four types of heart responses to the gospel. Three of those soils will not receive the seed of of the word, but one soil will, and that's the encouraging news, is that His word, salvation, the gospel, will be received by some, those whose hearts have been sovereignly prepared by God to receive Christ as their King and Savior. So what is the message of the parable of the sower? Keep throwing the seed. You never know where it's going to land. God knows, but we never know. Some of it, we do know this, some of it will fall upon hearts that will receive it. We don't know who those hearts are. We'll find out when they receive it or if they reject it. But keep throwing the seed. That's the message of the parable of the sower. Then we moved on to study the parable of the wheat and tares. And we learned from that parable that Christ's present kingdom is actively opposed by Satan. One of his strategies is to plant counterfeit Christians known as tares, because they look very similar to wheat. And he plants these counterfeit Christians among God's true people. These false brethren, because they are tares, outwardly look and even sound like genuine believers, but they are not. Sometimes, though, they are impossible to detect. But their goal is very clear. They try to hinder the work of God on earth by teaching such things as false doctrine, disregarding the high biblical standards of of the Bible, of Scripture, spreading doubt about major biblical truths and work like that. Then we moved on to study two other parables that are very similar, so we put them together, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And in those parables, Jesus taught that his kingdom would start off small and rather insignificant looking, just like a tiny mustard seed, just like a little bit of of leaven. But like the mustard seed and leaven, his kingdom will grow into something that will be large, that will impact our world, that will permeate our world. That's the main message of those parables. Now, last week, we started to look at these two parables that I just read to you, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great price. And as I said before, they both teach the same basic 
message about Christ's kingdom. They're very brief. They're very concise. But the truths found in these parables are so profound and so deep that I I felt in my own heart that I couldn't cover them in one week and do them justice. And you'll see today, I trust, why I felt that way. There are truths here about salvation that we must see. Now, as we discovered last Sunday, the meaning behind these two stories is essentially the same. But you do need to know a little bit of the background in order to appreciate the meaning. In the first story, Jesus spoke about a man who found a treasure that had been hidden by being buried in a field. And I explained at that point that this was, uh, this was a phenomena that was sort of normal for Israel because what people did, they didn't have banks, they didn't have safety deposit boxes to put their treasures in. So they hid their treasures underground. This could be anything from jewelry to money to even furniture. Anything that they valued, they would usually put it in some type of a chest and then bury it. They often didn't keep it in their homes because their homes were so susceptible to being broken into. Also, they were very careful about invading armies. Israel has, has been invaded many times, had been invaded in biblical times many uh, many occasions, so there could be armies looting them. And so they, to, to protect their valuables, they would hide them underground. But sometimes uh, the people who hid them died. Uh, whole families could be carried off into captivity. Uh, people could die in wars. And no one would know where those treasures were hidden. Now, that's the background of this parable. There was a treasure hidden on a field. Nobody knew it, but a man came along and and really essentially stumbled over it. But upon discovering this treasure and realizing how valuable it really was, he joyfully, Jesus said, sold all that he had just to purchase the field and the treasure that was buried in the field. That's the first story. In the second story, Jesus spoke about a wholesale merchant who traveled the world over seeking the finest of pearls. And one day he found the most exquisite, most precious pearl that he had ever seen. And he just knew that he had to have it. He had to have it. So like the man in the first story, he sold everything he had, which must have been uh, substantial because he was a wealthy merchant. And he raised the money to purchase that one special pearl of immense value. Now, what you want to keep in mind about these two parables is that although the details, as I said, of the story Uh, Really, the details are different. The common thread that ties them together is that both men, upon finding something of great value, sold everything they owned in order to obtain these precious treasures. That's what you want to keep in mind because that's what ties these stories together. Now, the deeper meaning, the spiritual meaning behind these stories is that, remember, they're revealing truths about the kingdom. So the deeper meaning behind these stories is that both the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price are like the kingdom of heaven in the sense that our salvation is like a priceless treasure, valuable beyond measure and worth everything in order to possess it. To the men who found the hidden treasure and the costly pearl, they're like lost sinners who upon discovering the message of salvation in Christ know that they just can't live without it. They must have him. And so... They, they have to have all of the unfathomable riches available in Christ, such as God's complete forgiveness, the new nature, transformed character, peace with him, Christ's righteousness credited to our account, a permanent relationship with God as their personal Abba, Father, 
friendship with Him, eternal life with Christ. And regardless of, of the cost, sinners know that they must have Christ, so they willingly surrender everything that they have of their old sinful way of life in order to receive Jesus and all of the spiritual riches that He offers in Himself. In other words, folks, understand that Jesus is that priceless treasure. He Himself is that priceless treasure. And understand that he is that pearl of great price. It isn't just salvation separate from him. It's him. He is the king over his kingdom. He is that pearl. And those who have been awakened to their need for him, they don't allow any sinful practices or attitudes in their lives to keep them from receiving him. That is to say that someone who is being drawn to Christ, who God is opening their hearts to the gospel, will gladly forsake any sinful pleasure in order to have Christ because they realize that there is no sin, no sin worth keeping if it would prevent one from having the most valuable treasure of all, Christ himself. So Jesus means more to a saved sinner than anything and everything this world has to offer. Now, to help us understand this concept of surrendering uh, our all, all from our sinful past for the treasure of Christ, I want us to, to look at two men in Scripture that I think serve as prime illustrations of what exactly it means to yield to Christ. Sometimes a, uh, an abstract truth of Scripture helps us to understand this when we look at some illustrations, life and flesh illustrations. And we're given, I think, two outstanding ones in Scripture. The first man is really a negative illustration of the truth revealed in the parables because unlike these men in the two stories, this individual absolutely refused to surrender something in his life and it kept him from being saved. I'm referring to a man that the Bible calls the rich young ruler. He's mentioned in three gospel accounts. I'd like you, since we're in Matthew already, to look at Matthew 19. We'll meet him down the road in more detail. But for right now, see the big picture. He's called the rich young ruler, not in Matthew's account, but in another account he is. So we'll refer to him as that. And we read this about him in verse 16 starting in Matthew 19. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, let me explain what Jesus was doing. This man was speaking of someone who called Jesus a good teacher, and yet he did not believe that Jesus is absolutely God. And what Jesus is doing is trying to provoke this man to think, if you call me good, does that mean, since God is the only one who is ultimately good, that I'm God? So he's trying to stimulate him to move him along to think. Then, by telling him you have to keep the commandments, Jesus wasn't saying that we're saved by obedience to the commandments. That flies in the face of everything Christ taught, that salvation is by grace through faith alone. It flies in the face of everything that the Old and New Testaments teach. What he was saying is, you, rich young ruler, need to see yourself as a sinner. You need to see that you have never obeyed the Ten Commandments. You have never obeyed God's commandments in your heart. And that's what he was telling him. You have to keep the commandments, pointing out to the man that he's never kept these commandments. But this guy really didn't, didn't get it. 
It says in verse 18, then he said to, to him, which ones? Meaning which commandments? And Jesus went down some of the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you, sh- and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now the Lord knew that this man didn't keep those commandments. None of us in our hearts keep these commandments. So he presented them as if, he were, as if we are witnessing to someone and we say, here's the law. You have not kept the law. But this man didn't get it. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And instead of Jesus saying, you've kept none of them, he put his finger on one commandment, commandment about covetousness, that this man, it was obvious that he never kept it. Jesus said to him in verse 21, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the young man heard the statement, he went away grieved for he was one who owned much property. Jesus put his finger on the man's sin. What was obvious, the man did get this. He told him because he was a wealthy man, sell everything that you have. Why? Not just because he was wealthy, but because he was a wealthy man who had made a god of his wealth. He had made an idol of his wealth. In other words, he esteemed his wealth of more value than knowing Christ. And Jesus knew that. He wanted this man to see his sinfulness. The man saw it, but he wasn't willing to give it up. Unlike those men in the parables, the rich young ruler didn't consider Christ and salvation worth giving up all of his money for to obtain him. Imagine this. Imagine being that close to Jesus Christ where you're having a conversation with him and then walking away, walking away from the eternal riches that are found only in him because of an unwillingness to give up the God of money. How sad. How sad. You could be that close to the kingdom and yet not be in it. That's exactly what this rich young ruler did That's exactly what many people do today. They are not willing to surrender all of their sin that that they're aware of in repentance, whether it be the love of money, the love of prestige, reputation, an illicit relationship, unethical behavior, or any other sinful practice. They refuse to give it up. And what happens to someone who knows that they're a sinner, knows that they have something in their life that Christ calls them to give up, and yet they knowingly refuse to give up sin for him, what happens to that person? Nothing. They remain unsaved, lost, and more hardened in their heart than ever before. Notice that Jesus, it says this clearly in other gospel accounts, Jesus never went after that man. He, he let him walk away. He let him walk away. In fact, it says that he loved him. He loved him. Jesus loved this lost man, but... He would not lower his standards by cheapening salvation just to accommodate this man's sin. He just let him walk away. And unless this man, at some other point in his life, repented and gave up his God of money for Christ to be his God, and we don't know that to be the case, there is no indication in Scripture, this man has been in hell for over 2,000 years without his money and without the true riches of a personal relationship with Christ. There is nothing more tragic than that. To be that close to the kingdom, and you won't give up money for the real value of knowing Christ. On the other hand, Scripture presents a different example, a positive example of what it means to surrender our all to Christ 
by telling us about a man who did give up everything, everything of his old way of life, everything that had once meant so much to him just to to have Jesus. The man I'm talking about is none other than the Apostle Paul. And he tells us about what he gave up in Philippians chapter 3. So let's look there. Philippians chapter 3. As Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, he wants to warn them about people who in other places are known as the Judaizers or the legalists. These were Jewish men who said that it's not enough to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. You must also keep the Mosaic law. Now, folks, that's heresy. That's heresy. That's salvation by works. And that's why Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said this, starting in verse 2, beware of the dogs. He's referring to these legalists as dogs. He doesn't mean hounds here. He doesn't mean literal, physical dogs, but people who act like dogs, savage dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. These men had said, we are Abraham's seed. We are the circumcised. We are the true, true people of God. But they weren't. And so Paul said in verse 3, for we, meaning we believers, we're the true circumcision because God is cut at our hearts. God has given us a kosher heart. God has cleansed our hearts. And he said, who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. These false religious legalists were so proud of all the things that they had accomplished in life that Paul said they they put confidence in the flesh. And then he says, well, if we were going to get into a comparison, nobody, nobody could have more confidence in the flesh than I used to have. Notice Verse 4, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Now, Paul begins to bring out his former Jewish credentials. He says, circumcised the eighth day. That was the right day, the Mosaic law said to be circumcised. Of the nation of Israel, that is the nation God had revealed his truth to. Of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the most esteemed tribes in Israel because... The first king, Saul, came from that tribe. His son, Jonathan, came from that tribe. Esther and Mordecai came from that tribe. And Paul came from that tribe, an esteemed tribe. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. That's the most strict observer of the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. What Paul means is that he kept all of the outward trimmings of the law. All the external observances, Paul said, if you looked at my life in the past, you'd see I kept them all. All the sacrifices, all the holidays, everything. I was blameless. But he says in verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, whatever things promoted me, he means, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He said, I I give them up. And look at this, verse 8 is great. More than that. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Think about that. Paul said, not only did I give up all of my credentials as a great Jewish leader in in my Pharisee ways, but I count, he said, all things lost. Everything is lost. And that's fine for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered, notice this, the loss of all things. But how did he count them? I count them but rubbish, garbage, trash, that I may know Christ and may gain Christ. 
Paul says all of these things in his former way of life, which made him look so good in the eyes of others and made him feel so good about himself, he came to consider as absolutely worthless in light of gaining Christ. He speaks of knowing Christ as the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He just joyfully gave up everything, everything to have that cherished treasure, Jesus himself. See, folks, that that is the mark of someone who has experienced genuine conversion in Christ. And they won't let anything or anyone keep them from salvation. Nothing is more important or valuable to a Christian than having Jesus and his spiritual riches. That's really the norm for every believer. This is not simply the testimony of a super-duper apostle. Now, it may be true that you don't have Paul's religious background, but whatever you have in your background, you ought to look back at and say, I give them all up joyfully. They're just trash to me because they, all they did was promote me. All they did was give me pleasure. But I, I give them all up for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. So this is not the unique experience of an apostle. This is the experience and norm for a believer. It is our hope and prayer that you are not holding on to any of the world's cheap trinkets, but have abandoned them in order to know Jesus as your Savior in a deeper and fuller way. If you've never seen your need of a Savior because you've never seen yourself as a sinner, then you need to make the decision of trusting His finished work on the cross. He died for you and he wants you to trust in him completely for your eternal salvation. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden, thanking you for being in class today. On our next verse... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.